0: are you this morning, Destiny Church? It's so great to see you here at church on this rainy Sunday morning. Every time I hear that, I want to, like, take a cardigan, go and take my Converse and untie them and put them in the closet. And I keep looking for the little train. You know, if if you know Mr. Rogers, those of you guys that are young enough or old enough to know Mr. Rogers, then uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm Pastor Turner. I'm here to share with you. We're going to close out our sermon series this week on uh, how to neighbor And uh, it's been it's been an amazing uh, series that we've been going through, and it's been wonderfully challenging. In fact, this series is really an attempt to recalibrate us as a church to really engage our hearts and our lives around the mission of God and the heart of God. And it begins right where we are with our neighbors. And uh, we really have an, an anchoring verse from this that comes out of Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is discussing with a few of these teachers of the law. There's people surrounding him, and they're asking him questions, and he's engaging with them back and forth, and then they ask him what the greatest commandment is, and he says the greatest commandment is this. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and all that is within you, and then he adds to it, and he goes, and likewise, to love your neighbor as yourself. And basically, what Jesus does is he summarizes the entirety of the Ten Commandments in that statement. Because half of the Ten Commandments deal with us dealing with God, in relationship with God. And the other half of the Ten Commandments deal with us in our relationship with one another. And he says very specifically there to love your neighbor as yourself. When he says that, what is brought to him is a question from one of the teachers of the law, and he says, Who is my neighbor? And so what we wanted to do in this series was try and open up our understanding of the different types of people that you would find in our communities around us that would be considered our neighbors. And what's amazing about that statement with Jesus, when he's asked that question about who is my neighbor, he goes into a parable, and we've gone into this a little bit through this series, but it's the parable of the story of the Good Samaritan. Before I jump into the rest of that, I just want to take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to bless our teaching time. I like to have a habit of doing that. So if you wouldn't mind, we can just pray right now. God, I thank you so much for this rain. I thank you for each person sitting in each chair here in this sanctuary today. I ask God that you would just bless this time that we have with you, that you would bless this uh, lesson, Lord God, that you would breathe life into it by your Holy Spirit. I pray for those of us that know you, that call you our Lord and our Savior, our Father, that, Lord, our hearts would be enlarged, that we would be filled by your Holy Spirit. I pray that those that are seeking, those that are in just exploring this whole topic and idea of faith, that, Lord, you would bring us closer to the truth this morning. And I ask that hearts would be softened and open, and I pray that you would just help me as I speak, Lord, put your words in my mouth, and we just commit our time to you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. So Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds to this teacher of the law, this guy who knows all about history of of Judaism. And he's one of the guys that would be respected and looked to for one of those guys with authority in the religious system of the day. And Jesus turns this whole man's idea upside down because the story that he gives him is the story of the good Samaritan. Now, uh, what he says is he tells a story, and if you know the story, I'll summarize it for you real briefly. Essentially, there's a man who is walking along the road. Some bandits come along. They mug him. They they injure him, and they leave him wounded on the the roadside. And what happens is, is he's laying there in great need, and a priest comes along, and he sees him, and he goes across the other side of the street and moves along and does not tend to him. Then a Levite comes along. The Levite is the family of priests. If you were going to be a priest, you had to be first a Levite in the Levite family. That was something that Moses put down from God with Aaron back in Exodus. And so a Levite moves along and he does not tend to this man. But then an individual comes along who is a Samaritan. And the Samaritan sees him. He helps him up. He takes him. He bandages his wounds. He puts him into a hotel. He helps. He helps him along. He sends uh, money to gives money to the hotel keeper and says, "Make sure he's taken care of." And then he comes back to check on him, even to make sure that he's getting better. What's interesting about this story is that obviously what the Samaritan does is the right thing, in contrast to the priests and the Levites. But who he is is what turns the world of this teacher of the law upside down in regards to who is my neighbor. The Samaritan people, to the Jewish people, they were a mixed race of Jew and Gentile, and they were the result of the exile when Israel was taken into captivity for 70 years. And when they returned back to the nation of Israel to inhabit the city and rebuild it with Nehemiah and Ezra and all of those, uh, what they found were there was a mixed race group of people that still hung on to the Judaistic system of worshiping God, the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they were not Jews in the purest sense, and so they were not permitted to worship in the temple and all of those things. They were limited in their ability to worship and serve God as it would be known from the Jews. And so the Jewish mindset in this time was for what a neighbor would be uh, constituted would be anyone who was in the Hebrew community or the Jewish faith in the purest sense. So the Jews would look after the Jews. So when Jesus uses this parable to bring this individual that was actually rejected, and talk about when Brody was mentioning racial reconciliation a few weeks ago, this would have been a perfect example of the prejudice that they maintained, that they would see this individual that they would not expect or welcome in, and they would reject him, but yet he was doing the very thing that God wanted to have done. So the story turned over the entire worldview world of the establishment thinking in this moment. This is groundbreaking. You have to understand how this would have sent an earthquake through the thinking of these good Jewish teachers of the law that held to the law. They were religious people in the highest sense of the word, but they were bound in their understanding of the love of God. And so our whole idea of this What is our neighbor and how how are we supposed to neighbor is to equip us so that we can get out of a religious mindset and into a relational mindset. It's very important for us this morning to understand that. And so as we look at what we're going to talk about this morning, because I'm going to speak specifically to the topic of loneliness. In fact, the title of of this message is Loving the Lonely, and the basic definition of loneliness is... Uh, Relation researchers have suggested that all of us have basic needs to belong. This need to belong is as fundamental as the need to eat, to sleep, or breathe. The need to belong is the need to form and maintain strong, stable interpersonal relationships. All of us, therefore, have this fundamental need to connect with others and form interpersonal bonds. Like any other fundamental need, if it goes unfulfilled, our body tries to alert us that we are not getting what we need. So the basic working definition of loneliness is that we are designed to have interpersonal relationships and when those relationships are not in our lives, we begin to have an expression out of our physical form sometimes, definitely in our emotional condition, that is negative and unhelpful. And I would say that As we think about this, if you're sitting here this morning, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you would agree with me that there are seasons in everyone's life that we go through where sometimes we feel very fulfilled and connected, and other times we feel disconnected and unfulfilled. In fact, these seasons in our lives should be expected. They are to to be uh, not something that we should be unfamiliar, but we should be familiar and expect that we will have moments and seasons but true loneliness in this sense that we're talking about is that maintaining sense of disconnectedness where you feel alone where you do not feel like you're a part of something that you belong. Belonging is intrinsic into the hearts and the fabric of who we are as a created being. God in his own existence is amazing because he lives in community with the father the son and the holy spirit as our example and as the truest sense of what it means to live in unity. That word community means to co-in unity, commune in community. And this is what the the picture of the Trinity is, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit living together in perfect unity, glorifying one another, but yet distinct in individuals. We're not going to get into the Trinity because I honestly, I'm not smart enough, but you know what I'm saying. It's interesting because God tells us in Genesis Chapter 2, he says to us that it is not good for man to be alone. And so from the onset, after he creates man, he says very clearly, it is not good for man to be alone. God knew in his wisdom, he knew in the way that he created you and he created me, that when we are separated and alone and not connected and belonging to some sort of community, that it would not be good for us. And so it's important for us to understand that maybe you're, You know someone who's lonely. Maybe you you yourself are experiencing loneliness this morning. I want you to understand a few things. We're going to unpack this a little bit more. But I just want to tell you right now that you're in a good place this morning. And I hope that your heart will be ministered to. I hope that what you will receive from this message is hope. And it will redirect your eyes to a thing that will help you very much. In fact, it possibly will pull you out of that state of loneliness and into a state of belonging and connectedness. That's my... Heart in prayer, this morning. Now, when we think of loneliness, uh, there's lots of reasons why people can become lonely. Uh, maybe you are wounded or injured. Maybe there was some broken relationship that you've experienced. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a relationship that you were hoping to lead to marriage. Maybe it was some other relationship within your family, a, a, a parent or a sibling that completely walked away. And so maybe there's this disconnectedness from some of these things and maybe you've experienced some true pain from that and so now you sit in a condition or a state of loneliness because of that. Maybe it's just a personality thing that you deal with and you struggle with. Uh, many people, uh, when they begin to understand their makeup, who they are as a, in their personality, it will help them greatly to begin to connect with others. For instance, I'm an extreme extrovert. Um, I am one who... When I am around a crowd of people, I am not out of place. I'm actually being energized by that crowd, and it's something that I do not shy away from. Where some of you in here are introverts, and the crowd exhausts you. It depletes your energy. It actually empties you. And so you prefer to be living in a more secluded, uh, one or two safe relationships uh, type of lifestyle. Now think about this for just a minute. If I were to be taken out of that where I was not given the opportunity to live in a group setting and have moments where there's people around me and that extroverted personality was living itself out, I would begin to feel isolated and alone. Likewise, an introvert, if they're forced into that all the time, they're going to feel like they do not have the connectedness that they need. We are all designed and made by God in his various ways in a most loving way and, and so Amazingly complex, but some of our loneliness could be due to the way we're living in the sense of, our, of what we're surrounding ourselves with, the lifestyle, the, the, just literally the experiences that we're in right now due to a, a season of life. In fact, in 2010, there was a study by Cigna Healthcare, and they found alarming information about loneliness and health, the connectedness to our physiological side of who we are and our emotional state of loneliness, they said that the feeling of loneliness can literally make us sick. Uh, The study discovered that loneliness actually has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, making it more dangerous even than obesity. Loneliness also contributes to higher rates of suicide, of self-medicating with alcohol or drugs. In fact, the study points that loneliness could be a major contributor to the rise of the opi- opioid epidemic. And when you think about these things, what people are attempting to do is they're attempting to move from one condition in one state into a, a satisfied state to relieve the pain that they're experiencing in this loneliness. And so we think about the effects that it has on our health, how it's worse than smoking cigarettes, it's worse than obesity. It is truly an epidemic. And when you begin to think about these negative responses and you think about how God has said it's not good for man to be alone, I want to point out that God is actually at work to try and bring us out of some of these conditions. In fact, I have a statement that I came up with uh, many, many years ago, I was part of Youth with a Mission, which is a, uh, a, it's YWAM, some of you guys know that, it's a a missions organization for young people to go out and they would send you to a three month class of, of schooling to prepare you to go out onto the mission field in a foreign country for one full month and then you would do whatever work you needed to do there. Um, for instance, my team, we did our discipleship training school in Texas, and then we left after three months, and we went to Russia in 1993. It was an amazing experience. The, the walls had just come down of communism, and so they were allowing Westerners to enter into the country for the first time. Many people that I met had never even met an American before, and so just that part was, I sort of felt like a celebrity. You know, they'd want to see They would actually want to touch you. It was the most amazing thing. And there was such a deep hunger, a spiritual hunger. Uh, for them because it had been cut out for over 70 years. It had been illegal to worship the one true living God. So there was this great spiritual poverty there. And when I was preparing to leave, I can, I can remember distinctly the Lord shared with me something that was revolutionary for me in my heart. In fact, there were two things that the Lord spoke to me clearly. One was when I returned from the mission and I was given an opportunity to become a staff member with YWAM and I was praying, Lord, do you want me to be a missionary? Is this what you want me to do? Do you want me to live on foreign soil and, and, and bring the gospel and build the church? And I can remember feeling this tension because I had this great love for the local church here in the United States and, and I didn't have this real beckoning of, yeah, this is exactly what... God wanted, and I felt guilty for that. And I can remember the Lord whispering to my heart, He said, the mission field to God is the hearts of men. And this plays perfectly into our theme of neighbor. You don't necessarily have to go across the world to find an unsaved person to be in the mission field of God. The mission field of God is the heart of any beating human being in close proximity, in far proximity to you, that would actually not know him. That is his heart. He wants all of us to come to know him in an intimate and deep way, in a personal way. The second thing that God spoke to me, which was really groundbreaking to me, was that everything that God does, he does it for the sake of relationship. Everything that God does, he does for the sake of of relationship. And let me explain this for just a minute. This is really the mega theme of God's heart in all of creation. Because God, who lives in relationship with himself, with the Son, the Spirit, they all live in, he creates this creation, he builds this creation, and he puts it into existence, and it lives interlocked into relationship. It breaks because of sin, that perfect relationship, and now it lives in in a condition that is broken in relationship from God vastly. And everything that God is doing, everything that he did in his Bible, everything that he's doing today, everything that he will do in the future is to bring restoration back so that humankind, mankind, can be in proper relationship with him. Everything that God does is for the sake of, of relationship. But it doesn't just stop with those that don't know him. It goes even deeper into those of us that do know him and call on him as Lord and Savior, because everything that God does in your life is for the sake of relationship. It's either going to be with you and him. Are you right with him? Is your life clear with him or with you and others? And this is a perfect picture of the cross, isn't it? And it is a perfect picture of what Jesus said when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that God does, everything that God's doing, everything that God will do is for the sake of relationship. It's an amazing thing and I hope you can get that when you think about what is making God's heart beat, what is making God's heart move. It's truly about relationship. So, I have two angles that I want to look at our message this morning. The first one that I want to look at is how can Destiny Church aid in lowering the loneliness statistics in our own community? What can we do as a church to help bring bring just comfort and move people from this state of loneliness into a state of belonging? And the second is that I want to look at how can we tackle loneliness in our own lives. So those are the two angles we're going to look at. Let's start with how we can, as as how we Destiny Church, can help people that are in great need and suffering from loneliness. And so in our communities, I've discovered that there's three ways that loneliness can be tackled in our communities. Number one. We need to recognize those around us who may be suffering from loneliness. When you begin to paint a picture of loneliness and you begin to paint a picture of those that are dealing with loneliness, a lot of times uh, we would think, you know, a a picture of maybe an elderly person sitting in a nursing home. You know, or a homeless person who's just by themselves on the corner or, or something like that. But in reality, the picture is much different than that. And and when I share these things with you, what studies are showing, it might actually blow you away a little bit. In fact, there was a scaled study of loneliness that revealed an alarming alarming information that has many professionals scratching their heads. Listen to this: 20 years ago, the highest report of loneliness were the elderly, those that are over 74 years of age. Professionals indicated that life stage, or the loss of a spouse, or moving in with a child, or feeling left out as a as a contributor to the culture led to that feeling. And some of you guys know this. Some of you have elderly parents in here or grandparents, and you know that they begin to we enter into a stage of life where we begin to disengage from our contribution in the workforce. We retire. We're, we're no longer pushing into that area where we're leading and we're uh, you know, finding some sort of identity in what we've done and what we've built and what we are doing. We begin to disengage from that, and then we begin to then disengage from the culture around us because friends, as you get older, they begin to go and be with the Lord. They no longer are around. Possibly a spouse goes to be with the Lord themselves, and so then you find yourself alone in a marriage that may have gone for many, many years, and so it it presses on that. And 20 years ago, this was the main people that were facing with loneliness, the elderly, What's amazing is that in more recent studies, it's actually flip-flopped now. Those that are being fulfilled are those that are moving out of the workforce. They're finding community. I guess we've really done a good job at creating uh, you know, places for them and communities for them, and that's a beautiful thing, and it's good. But nearly 10 points higher was our emerging generation, the millennials, that are facing loneliness. In fact, if you are on Instagram or Facebook, Snapchat, any of those, you'll see the hashtag oftentimes forever alone. These statistics are kind of scary. Millennials are marrying later. Uh, High debt is part of their life because of college and an ever-shrinking job market. Millennials are used to instant connection and instant connectedness. You know, we think about the way that texting and snapchat and all these instant we can almost pull out our phone and connect with somebody instantly i have may have shared this story with you before a few years ago i was in israel this is just techno- technologically this is just an amazing thing i was in israel with um a church group and i'm sitting on the bus and i was invited to go to a friend of mine who's a missionary in china to come over in the spring and and speak at his church for, for a, a, an event that they were doing. And I was FaceTiming on a bus in Israel with my friend who's a missionary in China. <laughs> I mean, technology's crazy. I'm on a bus in the Middle East speaking to a guy that's in a proxy server because they can't even get online over there because it's so controlled. Proxy server set up probably by our government. Oh, probably people in here do it. And we're FaceTiming on a bus yeah see I know I know what goes on here I'm not a dum dum. we are so connected and we are so connected but it fails to deliver that deepest need of belonging social media fails on connectedness say it with me social media fails on connectedness in fact I think it would be really great if we would lay it down Maybe in our, uh, our fasting in the new year, we can lay down social media and see what it does for our lives. In fact, we often mistake social media credit, aka followers, aka worth, as genuine relationships. You look at some of these accounts and people have literally thousands of people following them on their social media accounts. And the real social credit that I talk about is like your worthiness or your value online, in these, in these arenas. We spend so much time investing in these areas of our lives. We really do. And what starts off as this feeling of when you get a new follower, you have this feeling, this sense of, oh, I belong here. I'm being accepted. I'm, my worth is growing up. I'm, I'm feeling like this is where I need to be. It only leaves you empty. It only leaves you longing And it never fulfills. And so the depth of life that we crave, the feeling to need belonging, is left unmet. Yet an entire generation is being raised, immersed in that. And so when they do this study and they say, who are the most lonely in our culture, we're discovering that this emerging generation of millennials, the 18 to 29-year-olds, they are the most plagued with loneliness. It's something to take note of. And then, not only are the elderly and those that are in our emerging generation, but those that have found success in life, or as much of the world would paint as success, those that have found fame, or those that have found wealth, those that have found success in their jobs, are still dealing with loneliness. In fact, the suicide rate amongst those actors and musicians that are world renowned and known is stunning that they can't even go to a coffee shop in a foreign country without being recognized, yet they feel alone. Why is this? Because those things that we think would bring that connectedness and belonging always fail, always fail. And so we need to first start to recognize those around us. In fact, when you go to work tomorrow, take a look around. Just ask the Lord to stir your heart And see the people in the offices around you in the cubes around you on the road to work. Just look over at people and ask the Lord to show you. Ask the Lord to give you his eyes and their hearts and, and just recognize that there are so many people that are lacking this connectedness and this belonging. And they're chasing after and hoping in things that will never, ever deliver. So the first is that we need to recognize those that are around us, starting with those that are closest to us. Secondly, I just want to say this, that we can't cure people, but we can care for them. We can't cure people, but we can care for them. I was having a conversation with somebody before the service, and we were just discussing the message and what we're going to talk about. And he had a great, he brought a great question to me. He basically said, I have a friend. He's struggling with loneliness. He seems to sabotage his relationships. What's my role in this? How can I help this? And, and it, was, it was, this would be good for him because you can't, cure these people. This is not our job to cure. We will not be able to take someone from loneliness and bring them into a state of belonging. We will only be able to care for them, point to the direction of where they need to go, and help them along the way. But the ultimate work of them being cured from that will be the work of God's Spirit in their life. God working in them. And so practically, as a church, we want to look for those that are around us that are suffering from loneliness. We want to practically reach out to them in ways that would help them. Send them a text. Give them a phone call. Reach reach out to them on Facebook if that's where they are. And just say, hey, I was thinking about you today. I want to know what's going on. Invite them into a deeper relationship than what they're experiencing in the world around them. Bring them into something greater than themselves. And use practical things. We have all of these tools at our disposal. We should be using them to bring that into their life. And we should be using them in a practical way to help care for them, not necessarily cure them. And then lastly, we need to understand that loneliness is not solely a psychological issue, but it's a spiritual issue. Listen, as a church, as we begin to engage the people around us, and especially those that are far from Christ... We want to bring that element of Jesus to them. Do not be afraid to mention the great love of Jesus in their life. Don't be afraid to share with them how much God loves them and that God has a purpose for their life. These are the words that bring life to people, that bring them from death into life. These are the things that are gonna stir a heart. These are the words that they are longing to hear. Hey, guess what? You were created with a purpose and you belong. And let me help show you where you belong even this morning. And so it's an amazing thing that, as an opportunity for us as a church, we have a great opportunity to work in this way, to function in this way, and to bring hope in a spiritual sense. Because remember, it all was broken at sin, and God's working to bring them back into restoration in that way. So, those are three ways that we as a church can. But now I want to speak to you as an individual. As an individual. I thought he was going to play. I was getting ready for some backup music. It was going to be exciting. <laughs> they told me before the service that if I was stinking, they were going to come out and play. So I thought I was stinking it up a little bit. I was afraid that they were going to come out and play. I got nervous there for a minute. <laughs> if you're suffering from loneliness in your own life, maybe this is something you've dealt with. Maybe, maybe you find yourself in a life situation right now. I want to give you three pointers that can help you. First thing that I want to point out to you is that you must start by giving out of Your need. Obviously, you have a need to feel belonging. You have have a need of of emptiness. But I want to tell you that the greatest move that we can do as an individual is to begin to move and give out of our need. This is actually a biblical principle, and I want to share a few verses with you. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Think about that for just a minute. It also says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I know oftentimes those verses are connected deeply with giving and tithes and offerings and financially, but I want you to know that this encompasses so much more than just that. When you are empty, when you are lonely, when you have great need, Oftentimes, the first step for you to find fulfillment, for you to begin to move away from that condition you see yourself in, is to give out of your need. There's a great proverb. It says that if you want to find friends, show yourself to be friendly. God gives us the antidote for these things. And sometimes the first step, especially in dealing with loneliness, is to get out of your own self and begin to focus on others. Giving out of your need. It's a great way to move beyond your current condition and into the lives of other people who have needs as well. It also is engaging them in a way that will allow the Holy Spirit to come in and fill you and use you in a way that you may never expect. It's a great opportunity. Secondly, we need to treat with healthy actions. Far too many of us are in toxic relationships anyways. Far too many of us are in situations where we need to do some cutting in the things and the people that are around us because they are not leading us into health. They're not leading us into the things that are godly and the things that God would want for us. They're actually hindering us, and they may be contributing to our condition of loneliness. We're unfulfilled because God's not in them with you, and he won't let them bring life to you because he doesn't want them in your life to begin with. And so we need to develop quality, not quantity, relationships. Look for those believers around you that are living and they're exhibiting those things that you think that you need in your life. It's so wonderful. Philippians says, join with others and following my example. So we need to open our eyes and look for those people that are a little further along, look for those individuals and we need to begin to invest in those relationships. It's not about how many, it's about, how, uh, it's about the quality, not the quantity. And so we need to bring into our lives quality relationships. And then lastly, and this is for every one of us in here, we need to turn fully to God. When we surrender our lives fully to Jesus, we give ourselves access to His love and His presence by the power of His Holy Spirit. Jesus was familiar with loneliness. In fact, in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, speaking of the soon-to-come Messiah, Isaiah Isaiah says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with With the deepest of grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. That was a prophetic utterance about the condition of Jesus, the Messiah, when he was going to appear, that he would fulfill these things and he was acquainted with grief, despised as his people turned their backs on him when he was on a mission to bring us all back into relationship. God knows and identifies with the state of loneliness. He knows what it feels like to want to belong but being left out. He knows what it feels like to have the gaping hole of your heart yet to be filled. Because he lived in that condition, he experienced it, and he experienced it for you and I. This is why I say we can go to him. He's not a God far off who doesn't understand. He's a God who's drawn in close, and he understands the things that we've dealt with and we are dealing with today because he's faced them all. I wanted to read a few things as we close here. There was a website that I found called the Web of Loneliness Institute. It's kind of a weird name, but... They're a non-profit organization that is bringing awareness of loneliness and its negative effects. effects, And they conduct cutting-edge research to try and improve our understanding of loneliness and to tackle the issue of loneliness in our culture. This is from their website, Loneliness in Their Own Words. These are people that have struggled with loneliness. And maybe that would be you this morning if you hear this. JJ said, An unpleasant, painful, anxious yearning another person vicky wrote a feeling that no one wants you and a frustration because you don't know why andrew said wanting a friend without even knowing what a friend is anonymous wrote being with him but being alone and i said that's every wife during football season But these last two really stuck out to me. Claude wrote, loneliness is an existential void that is God-shaped with a human face and touch. And then Tim wrote, loneliness is when one door is closed, but the other one has not yet opened. And I would agree with Claude and Tim that loneliness is a God-shaped hole with a human face and touch. The church is the human face and touch. We are the ones that are to be going out and to inviting in and to become the hands, the heart, the mouth, the expression of Jesus to a lost and dying, lonely, broken world. But to those that are apart from Christ in relationship, they will never find true fulfillment and belonging until they come to him in faith and trust in him for salvation. And so what Tim said, where he says it's one door has closed and the other one has not yet opened, I think that's true for many of us. Jesus spoke about a door and he spoke about a door in connected to relationship with him in Revelation chapter three. He said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door and I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Maybe this morning you have not yet opened your heart and opened that door of your life to relationship with Jesus. And I just want you to know, if you are in that lonely condition and you have failed to surrender your heart and life to Jesus, I want to appeal to you this morning as someone who cares about you that the first step will be inviting him into your life, to enter into a relationship with a living God who's designed you and made you and has a plan and a destiny for your life and he wants to bring you into a greater purpose than you've ever known and you can begin that this morning. You can do that this morning and I'm gonna share with you how to do that right now. We're just gonna all take a moment and if you're in that spot, I want you to just pray with me right now and it's very simple. We can just close our eyes and we can pray together. Jesus, I stand before you With one door closed and yet another not yet open. And I ask that my heart would be that door that opens and you would come into my heart and life today. I look to you for salvation. I look to you for a living relationship. I ask that your spirit would fill me. And I ask that the things that separate us today would be washed away, that my sins would be removed. I'd be brought into relationship with you in a real way. God, I pray for that person this morning. I pray that you would do this by the miraculous power of your Holy Spirit. You'd breathe new life into anyone by faith who has prayed that this morning. And Lord, for those of us that are in you, but yet we still find ourselves struggling and fighting in loneliness, I pray for grace over their life. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would just work in them in a powerful way. And that Lord, they would experience the freedom of relationship with you, being lifted from disconnected to brought into a belonging. And that, Lord, you would do that in their heart and lives, even this morning. And I pray this in the powerful, mighty name of an all-loving Jesus. And everyone said, amen.